lot of you were interested in that. I want to give some attention to that this evening. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, we spend a great deal of time grieving. Uh, we spend a great deal of time talking about people that are dying, that have died, uh, comforting those who have passed away. Death is a very real thing. It's a reality for every one of us at some point or some time. As a matter of fact, I said this morning, one of the things that we, that we face in terms of mortality is it's 100%. Everybody's going to die at some point or another. One day I'm going to die. One day you're going to die. One day your children are going to die. One day uh, your parents are going to die. Uh, whoever you're looking at, if they are in the flesh, one day their life is going to come to an end. And this evening, as we this is the last Sunday of 2014, I just thought it would be good to, to bring our minds back to the eternal reality that every one of us face. No one really likes to talk about it. But it is the basis that undergirds everything that we are and everything that we do. It undergirds the entire mission of Christ. That point when we will leave the flesh. That point when we will leave the world. And there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul lays forth this argument or this discussion and he talks about the very temporary nature of life. He talks about our bodies simply being tents or simply being tabernacles that one day are going to be no more. One day they're going to be torn down. One day they're going to cease to exist. And he talks a little bit about the struggle that we have. Even as Christians, that, 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 that desire that Paul struggled with to depart, to go, to be with the Lord, but also that desire to stay here in the flesh. It is a struggle. It is a struggle in which we groan. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 5, he says something that I think is incredibly significant for how we view our existence here. As he talks about the separation of the Spirit from the body, he says these words, Now He who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. You see, the moment when we leave this world is what everything in your life is building towards. Do we realize that? We think maybe everything in our life is building, Selena, towards when we, towards when we finally graduate with our college degree. Everything's been building for quite a while towards that, hasn't it? And that's a big deal. Everything in our life is building towards, towards when, when, when that first child comes, comes into our lives. Everything in our life is building towards the, our wedding day. Everything in our life is building towards the day that we can retire. Everything in our life is building towards, towards that first grandchild. Everything in our life. And we, there are all of these things that, that we all work and we all strive for. And they're all good and they're all great. But they're not really what life is all about. And the truth is, if we believe the lie that that is what life is about, we'll be disappointed. Most of us have set up those goals that we thought, if I get this, I'll be completely satisfied. I want to say, you know, I think I'd like something else. I think I'd like a little bit more. I think I'd like something different. I, this seems there should be more. That's because that's not really what life is about. 
what life is about and what we are being prepared for is a day when our body will leave the flesh. That's what we're being prepared for. And God might have God might have spent 40 years of Moses' life in the wilderness preparing him to lead the nation of Israel, but even more so, he was preparing him for the day when he would leave Israel. It is that eternal reality that every one of us will face of our own death. The time of our death is unknown. The way of our death is unpredictable. But the fact and the certainty of our death is inescapable. I want us to talk about death for just a moment because I think it's beneficial. Because the Bible says that it's beneficial. We don't like to talk about it. But over and over, the Word of God says this is important. That's why over in Ecclesiastes, over in, over in the book of Ecclesiastes, the great wisdom of Solomon, those words that are uttered, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. You know, my son was asking me, he said, where, where are we going for New Year's this year? What are we going to do for New Year's Eve? We're going to go to this person's house or this person's house. We're going to have a party. We're going to play some games. He's excited about that. You know what my son's never asked me? When do we get to go to another funeral? I can't wait, Dad. Right? I offered to, to, offer to take him with me to the, to the funeral home last night. And you know what? He didn't want to go. Can you imagine that? He, well, he's ready for the party, but not so much the funeral home. I think we all understand why, right? <coughs> Solomon says, step back and understand there's great, great value. There's great, great value in going to the house of mourning because that, that is the end of every man and the living takes it to heart. If you haven't thought about the day when you will leave this world, can I encourage you to think about it? Maybe for the first time, maybe for the millionth time in your life. To think about the eternal reality that one day, friends, we are going to leave this world. You're going to leave your truck. You're going to leave your home. You're going to leave your children. You're going to leave your spouse. You're going to leave, you're going to leave your community. You're going to leave all of your accolades and your accomplishments. You're going to leave your diplomas. You're going to, you're going to leave your... On and on we could go, right? And we're going to go to stand before God. And a great part of that eternal reality is, while I don't know everything about it, I do know a little bit about it, we're going to leave this place and we're going to go to one of two places. We're going to go to one of two places. We're going to go to heaven or we're going to go to hell. And at some level, we need to understand that. And we need to understand the impact that that has on everything that we do and everything that we are. When we used to have the Pew Packers class on Sunday nights, one of the things, and I know I beat this into my children's head, and I hope it gets into all of our heads, but we talk about what is true success. It's living your life and going to heaven. Period. It's living your life and going to heaven. What's true failure? It's living your life and not going to heaven. 
That's truly the difference in success and failure. If that's what this life is really all about, which it is, I can be, I can be the greatest, I can be the greatest basketball player this world has ever known. But if I don't go to heaven, I've wasted my life. I can be the, the greatest intellectual this world has ever known, but if I don't go to heaven, I've wasted my life. I can be the best family man and have the best reputation in the community that this world has ever seen, and if I don't go to heaven, I've wasted my life. That's the standard. Jesus Christ came into this world to what? To what? To save us. This is what He says, John, John 3.17, I did not come into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Right? Luke 12, I came to seek and to save the lost. Save us from what? Save us from a bad day? Save us from bad relationships? Save us from self-destructive behavior? Is that really what the death of the cross? No, it was about saving us from eternal damnation. One day, I'm going to die. And I'm either going to go to heaven or I'm going to go to hell. Jesus spoke over and over about this eternal reality. In Matthew 25, as He was talking about the coming kingdom and preparing to go and make that ultimate sacrifice, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all of the angels with Him, it is then that He will sit on the glorious throne and all of the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them from one another as a sheep separates the sheep from the goats. And then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed, you who are blessed on my Father, of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and for his angels. And I read those verses and, and many times I've got a lot of mixed feelings because, because in those verses we have incredible words of comfort and hope. At the very same time, we have incredible words of fear and condemnation from the very same Savior speaking to the very same people. I want you to understand what's about to happen. I want you to understand the eternal reality the Hebrew writer put it like this in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 when he said, Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment, we're going to stand in the judgment. We're going to stand as those, as those who have rejected the grace of God, those who have made His grace a vain thing, or we're going to stand as those who have received the grace of God. Every one of us in this room is going to spend eternity in one of two places. One of two places. Those places being heaven and hell. Even the words themselves carry a great deal of emotion, feeling, one of the words is word is terminology that we sing about and it fills us with hope and it fills us with, 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 with admiration and it just makes us think about God, right? And one of those words just carries so much weight. It's just a heavy word. I don't even like to say that word. 
And growing up, I still remember the first time that I heard a preacher say, say that word in church. And you know, you know what my response was? He just said a bad word. He just said a word that we don't say. Right? I'm pretty sure I told my mom on the preacher. Probably a lot of you have felt that. But yet Jesus said that word all the time. He said both those words all the time because Jesus was very well aware of the greatness of heaven and the terribleness of hell. He was very much aware that they were very real places. You know, it's important for us to understand that our destiny is not so much about the place, but about what the place is. Heaven is the place where we will go to be with God. And hell is the place where we will go to be separate from God. And that's probably one of the best definitions of what, of what those places are. And we try to describe and we try to illustrate, and then the Bible does, does a good job of that, but, but it, it can't... Listen, the Bible can't completely describe to us something that's completely spiritual in nature. Because you've never known anything completely spiritual in nature. So it does the best it can to illustrate, to, to give us a sense of, of, what, of what these places are. Will I be with God? Or will I be separate from God? Hell is a, is a, is a place that has fallen out of favor. I don't even know if that's the right word to use, but, but, but it used to be. I, I, sometimes people talk about, we, we need a hellfire and brimstone sort of sermon. If I say that, everyone, you have some idea what I'm talking about. You've probably heard one. I, I probably preached one. And, and it, I don't think that's always a bad thing. But in recent years, it, it has become, in many circles, unacceptable. Many people who have even gone as far to say that hell is not real, or to say that hell is not a place of all, of all eternity, well, the, the great struggle there is that the Bible says no such thing, and if you want to do away with hell, or if you want to do away with the eternity side of hell, then you have to understand that heaven and hell go hand in hand. If hell is not real, then, then, then heaven is not real. If the eternity of hell is not real, then the eternity of heaven is not real. I know why it's unpopular. I know why it's unpleasant. No, it's just not a, a nice thought. But it's a real thing. There are lots of things that aren't nice. But we need to be very well aware of them. Cancer is not a nice word. It probably has almost as much baggage as hell does, doesn't it? But when you have cancer, you need your doctor to tell you you have cancer. Alzheimer's is not a nice word, but when you have it, it does no good to act like you don't. There was a survey done of evangelical seminary students, and it was kind of interesting. Nearly half, 46%, said that they felt that preaching about hell to unbelievers was in, in their words, poor taste. There's a part of me that realizes, I understand what they're saying. It just doesn't feel like a very positive thing to be talking about. And so they don't. But friends, it's a very biblical thing to talk about. That place that we call hell, which is Gehenna. We, we read, and, and once again, they're trying to symbolize this spiritual reality by, by talking about this, uh, the valley of Ben-Hanan, ben that place where people would go in the Old Testament 
When pagan religions ruled the day, even in the midst of Israel and even in the midst of Judah, a place where they would go to sacrifice their children to Molech, it was the place where people went to kill their babies. It was a dirty place. It was an ugly place. That ravine that was outside of the city of Jerusalem, matter of fact, it's still there. And over time, it became the place where just everybody took their, their junk. Everybody took their garbage. Jerusalem's garbage dump. Where they took rubbish and waste and dead animals and even the bodies of criminals that nobody wanted to do anything with were discarded there. And the fires burned in that place. Continually, they burned in that place. And so, and so when Jesus talked about this place called Gehenna, people understood the type of place that He was referring to. A place of great stench. And over and over, Jesus said, you need to fear that place. You need to fear that place. When you think about eternity and the fact that you're going to die one day, whether you die from natural causes or you die because the Lord comes again and your spirit leaves your body, that's what death is. You're going to go to spend eternity in one of two places. Either in heaven or in hell. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, Do not fear those who kill the body, but who are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Probably the first time in several years we've talked about it. But it's important for us from time to time to take a step back and realize there is a place called hell. It's a very real place. As a matter of fact, it's a place that in spite of the love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for all the world, the majority of people in the world will find themselves because it has a very broad path that leads to it. We're given, we're given descriptions throughout, throughout the Bible of what, of what hell is. Jesus speaks of it as a, place, as a place of fire, as a place of weeping, as a place of gnashing of teeth, as a place of darkness, as a place where we will be for all of eternity. You, you've, you've read the passages and, and you've, you've given thought to these things. He's trying to convey something to us. You see, we live in a world that when people do talk about hell, sometimes it's almost in a joking manner. Too many, too many people have been told and they have bought the lie that, that hell is going to be a great place of wonderful fellowship. It's going to be a place of parties and poker games and orgies and, and every, every sort of debauchery you can think and it's going, it's going to be a great time. That's not what hell is going to be. That is not what hell is going to be. That is not why Jesus came and died upon the cross. Hell is a place well, that we don't have the words to describe. But the Bible does its best to paint a picture. A picture of fire and weeping and gnashing of teeth. A place of darkness. It's not literal. But I want us to understand that when, when, when something is, is displayed symbolically, a symbol is not used to overstate the severity of something. Inherently in the use of a symbol, it understates the reality of what something is. Jonathan Edwards said in his famous sermon, 
He said, There is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere long-suffering of God. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. It is, a, it is to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell the last night, that you were allowed to wake again in this world after you closed your eyes to sleep. Oh, sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in, for you hang by a slender thread. It's real. And we do no favors to ourselves or anyone else to act like it's not real. Can I confess, as I've confessed many times before, I don't lose a lot of sleep thinking about hell. Oh, I have lost some sleep thinking about it. I remember before I became a Christian, hell was a concept that scared me to death. Terrified. I remember, I remember one of the things that played prominently in my conversion. I understood what needed to happen and, and, and had a desire to, to be right with God and something held me back. And I remember, I remember reading the description of hell in the book of Revelation while my, while my preacher was preaching and I don't know what he was preaching on, but I remember what I was reading and I remember thinking, I don't want to go there. But I want to tell you, I, I, I'm not scared of hell. I'm not scared of hell not because it's not what I deserve. I'm not scared of hell because of the sacrifice has been paid for me. Because as boldly as the Bible talks about the reality of hell for those who would spurn the invitation of the Lord, the Bible also talks about the reality and the confidence of a place called heaven for those who would be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, and so we can go, we can go to, to the funeral home and we can talk about heaven. We can talk about where our brothers and our sisters have gone to. And we can do that with confidence. None of this may be, could be, I sure hope so. It, it just possibly, no, it, it, that's not it. We can have confidence that the people that we know and the people that we love who are faithful brethren, they are in heaven. It's the alternative. Since heaven is real. And once again, there are many, many descriptions and many facts about heaven that I don't have and you don't have because the Bible doesn't give us those things. There are many men who would fill in the blanks for us, but, but, the Bible, but God has given us what, what we need. But I want us to understand that heaven is that place where we go to be with God, and it is a very real place, and there are going to be very real people there. It is not some milk toast existence where we'll float around in the clouds. That's not in the Bible. That's nothing to be excited about. I think one of the great lies of our time is that the devil has convinced people that heaven's not something to look forward to. That heaven is something almost to be dreaded. It's the eternal sermon where the preacher just goes on and on and on for all of eternity. And Bobby, you don't want to go there, do you? That's not what heaven is. That's not what heaven is. Revelation 13 and verse 6 tells us we should expect that. When it speaks of the devil and it says, "...and he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven." See, we, we hinted at, we, t we touched on this th th this morning and we talked about it this afternoon. And Jesus said, I know that there are things that upset you and there are things that try you, but I want you to have peace in your hearts. 
I want you to have hope and I want you to have joy. That's why I came. And He told them, Do not let your hearts be troubled. For in my Father's house there are many dwelling places. There are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. What is this all about, Jesus? You're going to die on the cross and life is falling apart and I have all these questions. Just know. Just know that I've gone to prepare a place for you. For all the questions you have in life, I just want you to know that if you are a Christian, there is a home that awaits you. There is a home that waits for you where there is no more pain and there is no more suffering and there are no more tears and there are no more struggles. That's what's waiting. And one day, Jesus says, I'm coming back to get you. I'm coming back to take you there. That's why I came in the first place. That's why I died on the cross. Because I knew exactly how bad hell was. I don't want you to go there. I'm willing that none should perish. That's why I died. That's why I haven't returned. Because we serve a God. We serve a God who has and does everything within His mighty power so that I can go to heaven. So that you will go to heaven. The revelator said in Revelation 21 and verse 4, speaking of that place, beginning with verse 1, he says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And He shall dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be among Him. And He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall no longer be any death. And there shall no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. For first things have passed away. Can you picture a place like that? I don't know about you. But I don't know if I can even picture that place. I've never experienced a place like that. That's what heaven is. A place where there are no more tears. A place where people don't die. Never experienced something like that? A place where there's no mourning, there's no crying, there's no pain. We have glimpses of great joy in this life, don't we? We just finished uh, the holiday season. Many of you had great times of, of joy and, and wonderful things and your family was there and you were exchanging gifts. Anybody experience any pain during even that time? I know that you did. I know that you were aware of those things. In the midst... Listen, guys... In the midst of all these wonderful things, sometimes I look at my phone and there's someone struggling in a hospital. And there's someone whose marriage is falling apart. And there's someone, and down and on the list you go, and many times it's right back at me. Heaven is a place where those things don't exist. Fall in love with God. 
Can I encourage you, if you have a mission for the year 2015, that it be to fall in love with God? That's what heaven is. It's a place where we go to be with God. Behold, the tabernacle of God is amongst men, and He shall dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be among them. What does that mean to you? Give that serious thought. Give that deep thought. Because when we begin to understand the very presence of God, I believe that's when we will begin to understand what heaven is. And we will begin to have a yearning for that place. See, there is a very real, eternal reality. One day, we're going to die. And on that day, our life will be over. Our time in the flesh will be over. And we will go and we will stand before our God. Revelation chapter 2, Jesus says, And all the churches will know that I am He who searches the minds and the heart, and I will give to each of you according to your deeds. That's the truth. And so we live in light of that truth. And we live in preparation for that revealed truth. We don't live our lives solely to accomplish all of those things that we so often accomplish or enjoy. They're wonderful things, but that's not what it's all about. We live our lives preparing for this very purpose. So that when I stand before God, He will say, well done, my good and my faithful servant. Peter said this in 2 Peter 1 and verse 10. He said, brethren, that's you, that's me. He said, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. Give it some thought. Give it some diligence. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Pay attention. Try. Walking in the light, that's not perfection. That's trying. That's striving. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Understand that your God is not wanting to send you or anybody else to hell. But your God is rooting and working and striving for you to come unto righteousness, for you to be with Him for all of eternity, for you and your spouse and your children and your grandchildren and as many generations as, as may come after you to one day be together in heaven. I love the story of Alfred Nobel. Most of you have heard this story, but it, 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 it's a true story and it's, it's, it's still powerful in my mind. You see, we know about Alfred Nobel because of the Nobel Peace Prize. Every year, great prizes are given to people who, who make advancements in our, in our society and in our world, and in particular, in, in the realm of peacekeeping although it's expanded in later, latter years. 
But that's not always what Alfred Nobel was, was, was known for. At one point in his life, he was known as the inventor of dynamite. That's what he was. And he tells the account of one day he got up and he opened up the paper and he saw his obituary. Some of you read the paper for the obituary, don't you? I remember my grandmother used to listen to the radio every day to hear the obits. And one day when he picked up that paper, he saw his own. And that was a misprint. His brother had passed away, but the paper thought he had passed away. But they had written his obituary. And he saw a man who was described as a merchant of death. That's what he was going to be remembered for. And he said, I don't want to leave this world known for that. And so he changed his life. And he took his great and valuable and immense fortune and he dedicated that to changing what his life would be remembered for. And that's why we have the Nobel Peace Prize today. I often wonder, when my life is over, what will my obituary say? I wonder, I wonder about death and where death will come to me and who'll preach my funeral? Where am I going to be buried? I don't have answers to all. Some of you may have all that worked out. I have no clue about all those things. I don't know. What will people remember? What will they put in the newspaper? Can I tell you as someone who goes to an awful lot of funerals? I preach a lot of funerals here and other places. Can I tell you when I'm scanning the obituary, the one thing I want to know? Sometimes I know a person, sometimes I don't. Here's the one thing that I want to know. I can preach and we can talk about and celebrate a great number of things, but here's the one thing that really matters. Was this person a Christian? Did they walk with Christ? It may be a very small tagline on an obituary, but it is the most significant thing. When somebody says, and he or she was a member of the Savannah Church of Christ, I want to tell you, that's a mouthful. Because it's a statement of allegiance. They were a part of the body of Christ. They were a part of the body that has an expectation, that has a hope of heaven above. On the day of your death, that's all that matters. You've been there with the poor and with the rich. And I want to tell you that's all that matters. You've been there with the people that everybody knew and the people that nobody knew. And I want to tell you all that matters is are you right with God? Have you accepted His sacrifice? Someone once said, the reality is, there are only two days. I believe it was Martin Luther that said this. There are only two days. There's today, and there's that day. And everything in today is in preparation for that day. The day when I leave this world. Which is not the end, but it is the beginning of a great eternity. Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus Christ 
roots for you. Jesus Christ continues to extend an invitation to you. Because what He wants is for you to be with Him for all of eternity. He wanted so bad He died for it. Because if you're not a member of the body of Christ, if you've never been born again and baptized into Christ, then your eternity is in doubt. If you're here this evening and sin is ruling your life, I'm not saying you're struggling with sin, but sin is ruling your life, your eternity is in doubt. You need to know that. I need to know that. Because it doesn't have to be in doubt. Why don't you come? Why don't you come? Why don't you come to heaven? That's where God wants you to be. If you have a need tonight, why don't you come as we stand and sing? And the trumpet of the Lord to sound the times of shall gather over on the other shore and the roll is called up yonder I'll be there when the roll is called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder is called up yonder I'll be there on that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise and the glory of his resurrection share when his chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies and the roll is called up yonder I'll be there when the roll caught up yonder when the roll is caught up yonder when the roll is caught up yonder when the roll is caught up yonder I'll be there let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, and the roll is caught up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is caught up yonder, when the roll is caught up yonder, when the roll is caught up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. We thank you all for joining us tonight. If you are unable to take the Lord's Supper this morning, it's been prepared in a classroom to your left. Uh, we're going to close with number 72. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Uh, we hope you'll join us again for our midweek devotional on Tuesday night this week. Uh, since we'll be on a different schedule than a lot of churches, it might be a great opportunity to invite someone to come with you. Um, that'll be at 7 o'clock. We hope we'll have a great crowd for that. Uh, so we have a great opportunity to fellowship together. Uh, let's go and slip... Go to the next slide if you don't mind. 
I put a duplicate in there. Don't want to stumble. All right, let's sing together, and then we'll close in prayer. Father in heaven, how we love you. We lift your name in all the earth. May your kingdom be established in our praises. As your people declare your mighty works. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Who reigns forevermore. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns for